Amen. Well, this morning we have a, a special treat, and, and I'll probably share some more reflections on this uh, next Sunday. Um, if, if you're on social media, you probably saw this, but this last Wednesday, per, a personal update from my family, um, after almost three years, the adoption of our youngest son, Carlos, was finalized. And so we're so excited. Um, now again, next Sunday is Father's Day, so I thought, I mean, give me a week to just process this. Um, we're so grateful. I do want to say thank you. Um, I have said we've been in foster care and involved in foster care for six years now, and I tell people that one of the reasons we've been able to participate in that world and survive uh, what, what we've been through and to be able to celebrate the things like we've celebrated this weekend is because we have a church family. We're not alone. And through your prayers and, um, and through the prayers and, and support of someone special that I invited to come and speak this weekend, um, Bruce Bruns is a pastor um, who most recently has been serving in Lake Geneva. Uh, Bruce and I actually lived kitty corner to each other. I could see his house from my house, from the window of my living room when I lived down in Pell Lake, and yet we barely talked until I moved, because <laughs> that's how it works, right? And it was actually in the midst of foster care and in the midst of some of the difficulties that I think we had lunch, and we learned that we share that in common. Bruce and his wife, Alyssa, have adopted their son, Dakota, uh, through foster care, and, um, and it, just as I was praying with Bruce earlier, and I'll say it to you guys as well, um, Bruce has been one of, one of my best friends who has been able to, to help carry me through this last season. And he told me a couple of weeks ago, he happened to be coming back to town this weekend. And I said, hey, would you preach for me? Um, this is the weekend after my son's going to be adopted, and I would just love to be able to serve with you and introduce you to our family of faith here at St. John's. He said yes, and so pray for him, because tomorrow he's helping his son move, but today he's here to bring the word of God to us. And so would you please give a very warm welcome to Pastor Bruce Bruns. Tom's words are, are very kind. Um, we've been there for each other in some very difficult times in the last six years. And yeah, we probably could have been friends for 10 years instead of six years. Um, we did. We, we lived less than 100 yards from each other. He says we, we talked. I don't remember. I remember waving as he was out mowing the lawn. This is what I, this is what I remember. Um, up until, uh, my name is Bruce Bruns. Uh, up until uh, last September, I was the pastor of Anchor Covenant Church down in Lake Geneva. Since then, I have moved to Washington State, where I grew up, to be closer to family, um, and am out there now. Uh, he talked about my youngest son, Dakota. Um, my oldest son, yes, is uh, moving from Chicago to Kansas City tomorrow, and it's supposed to be 98 in Kansas City for the next three days, so I'm looking forward to hauling furniture up to the second floor uh, in 98 degrees in Kansas City. That sounds like a whole lot of fun. Um, Sam is a carpenter's apprentice that just started, and, and he's in a brand new city and learning some new things. Uh, and I have a, a third son. Jackson is our middle son. You'll hear a little bit more about him in a minute, uh, but he lives in Twin Lakes. Um, and, uh, and then there's my wife, Alyssa. We've been married for, she's a elementary school teacher. We've been married for 27 years uh, as of just a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago. 
So if you look at the book of Acts, Jesus has finished his time on earth, and he's talking to the disciples. He's giving them kind of his last words, those important things you say to the babysitter or the house sitter as you're rushing out of the house, making sure they don't forget. These are the important things that you need to know. And, and the, he's talking to the disciples, and, and the disciples ask him, well, when are you coming back? And Jesus says in, in Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 7, it says, he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Growing up, I went to church uh, about 20 minutes from where I lived, uh, which meant that my church friends and my school friends were very, were very different groups of people. I don't think that I was different between those. My school friends knew that I, I went to church. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there were some differences. I was a high schooler, you know, but, but hopefully not too much. My school friends, though, were a much faster crowd than my church friends. Not bad kids, but there was definitely more not awesome high school behavior with my school friends. We'll just leave that there. Jason was a, Jason was a kind of friend, someone I knew but not too well. We, we weren't really close with each other, but we had the same friends, if that makes sense. We, we circled around the same people, and Jason was a wild child. Black clothes, bleached blonde hair, black nail polish. He was ridiculously smart, but was also suspended numerous times when we were in high school for verbal altercations with his teachers. Jason was the one that brought marijuana to the parties. Jason was the first one in that little circle of people that I spent time with who tried LSD. I lost track of Jason after high school. But when I graduated from college um, and I wound up working as a youth pastor near Seattle, I took my students to a local Christian theater company in Seattle. And, and lo and behold, Jason was the lead in the play that I had taken my students to see. I, I tried to catch him that night, but I wasn't able to see him. I tried to contact him, but it just never worked out. So now mind you, I'm the kid who grew up going to church. If you are familiar with the Awana program, it's, it's kind of a, 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 a Christian version of Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. That was a huge part of my life growing up. I gave my life to Jesus in Sparks. I went through Awana for six years. I won the Timothy Award, if you know what that is. That's a big deal, all right? I went to scholarship camp. I was at church every Sunday, every Wednesday. I went on mission trips. I started volunteering with my junior high youth group when I was a sophomore in college, or a sophomore in high school. Time passes. I go to college. I get married. I go to seminary. And at my 10-year high school reunion, I run into Jason. We start to talk. He tells me his story. It got worse after high school, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, his parents kicked him out of the house, and, and then a friend introduced him to the gospel, and life started to change. He asks me, what do you do, Bruce? 
I say, I'm the, I'm the associate pastor at a church in Southern California. He says, wow, that's great. And then he asks me a question that I will never, ever forget. When did you get saved? Wait, what? When me? Church kid. Sparks. Awana. Timothy Award. Mission trips. Junior high youth group volunteer. When did you get saved? All the time that I spent with him, he didn't know I was a believer. Think about that all the time. Still bothers me. Now, hang on to that. We will come back to it, okay? Because I know you guys are talking about the fruit of the Spirit this summer. Pastor Tom started off last week uh, talking about Jesus being the vine. And today we're going to start talking about what it means to be fruitful. What does it look like? And, and all of this does connect, I promise you. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any one of you has a, a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Paul writes to Colossae, a, a, a small town in what is Turkey today, because he's concerned about the church it looks like they are starting to incorporate aspects of the pagan religions around them, of the religions that they had left, into their faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mixing it into the life of following Jesus, especially the, the worship of nature and of, of elemental forces around them that they didn't understand. Now, there is nothing wrong with venerating what God has created. God creates calls it good, and then entrusts Adam and Eve with the care and protection of what was created. We have been entrusted with the care and, and, and protection of what God created. We bear God's image and the image of the creator. And as image bearers, it is our job to care for what the creator has done. But there is a difference between veneration and worship a difference between respect and care for what God has created and putting it on the same level as the creator. And that line seems to have been crossed in the Colossian church. Paul starts on it. He starts right off the bat with a reminder of who is the creator and what is created. Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 15. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Make no mistake, Paul says, the world that God created is good. He called it good. It's great. In the time, you know, I grew up in western Washington. Spent time in Chicago for college and seminary. Spent almost 15 years in Southern California and then 10 years out here. And in the time I've been back in Washington, I have been constantly reminded of how much I love mountains and ocean and evergreen trees. Waking up at my sister's house and seeing Mount Baker with the sun rising behind it. This is God's good world and he made it for us to enjoy and protect and care for. But let's not forget that there is created and there is creator. Who not only created but reconciled the world that became rebellious, sinful, and broken by sacrificing himself for the rebellious and sinful and broken. So we get to chapter 3. And Paul says, look, it's simple. It really is. It's not complicated. If this is who God is the one who created all things in heaven and on earth and, 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 and visible and invisible and, and, and rulers and powers and authorities. And if that God reconciled to himself all things through his sacrifice on the cross, then act like it, Paul says. People should see it, Paul says. This should change you, not just what you believe, but who you are. That's it. Your life, Paul said, should reflect who God is and what God has done. Chapter 3 starts by Paul calling us God's chosen people. And it's important to stop there for a quick moment. Because when Paul calls followers of Jesus God's chosen people, there is all kinds of background context going on there, okay? Because he's referring to the people of Israel, specifically to God's choosing of Abraham. If you look at Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham, go from your people and your country to where I will send you. And that's a whole other message for another time. God says, get up, grab all your junk, go that way, and I'll tell you when to stop. And Abram does. But then he says, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see that? God picks Abraham and his descendants not because they're particularly cool, not because they happen to be better than the other people groups that God could have chosen, but he picked them for a reason. The whole earth will be blessed through you. God didn't choose Israel because he loved them more. He chose them to give them a mission. They were picked for a purpose. They were chosen for a reason. He had revealed something to them. He had set them apart. That's what the word holy means, to be set apart for God's purposes. God had given them this remarkable message. They knew something, and the rest of the world needed to hear it and to know it. All the peoples of the earth 
will be blessed through you. They were set apart and different, not like the rest of the world. And by being set apart and different, they communicated to the rest of the world what God had communicated to them. And remember, Paul calls the Colossian church that he is writing to, he calls us chosen people, holy and dearly loved, chosen for a reason, picked for a purpose, set apart for God's use. Then Paul says to clothe yourself. It's like getting up every morning and and putting your clothes on for work, getting ready, preparing yourself, putting on your your uniform. My son Jack, my middle son, is a custodian at one of the elementary schools here in Elkhorn. When Jack was living with us, when he wasn't at work, I had to fight that kid just to wear pants. Seriously, if he was staying home, it was maybe... Shorts and a t-shirt, usually sweats or pajama pants and then blanket wrapped around him while he played video games or texting. I don't understand. But when it was time for work, Jack got ready. Uniform shirt, work pants, work boots, belt with his keys clipped to them, a leatherman, a multi-tool, a pocket knife, a small flashlight. He got ready to do his job. He clothed himself. He prepared himself. And Paul is saying, if the God described at the beginning of Colossians, the one who created all things, the one who is before all things, the one who reconciled all things, if this is who we worship, if this is Jesus, if this is, if this is what he did, then it is our job to act like it, to prepare ourselves, to show the world so that it can be blessed through us to clothe ourselves, to prepare ourselves. We have been chosen for a reason, called out for a purpose, and we need to get ready. To get ready to go out into the world and to represent Jesus to the people we come in contact with. How do we do that, Paul says? Through bumper stickers on our car? Who we vote for? Memorizing scripture, being able to pass a pure doctrine test, perfect attendance on Sundays, going to Sparks, Awana, winning the Timothy Award, going to scholarship camp, going on mission trips, and volunteering with the youth group. No. Those aren't bad things. Those are good things. But no. It's how we live and how we act and how we are and who we are. How we relate to others, to family, to strangers, to co-workers, to kids, to spouses, to neighbors. Put on compassion, Paul says. It's the first part of preparing yourself. Compassion isn't a, a, a word we use much, and, and, and often when it's used, it's misused or misunderstood. But compassion, compassion literally means to co-suffer. It means to get into other people's skins and try to understand them and what's going on. 
after living in Wisconsin for 10 years, if you've ever been to Seattle in rush hour, I hadn't driven in that kind of traffic in 10 years. How many of you have been driving down the street and, and, and somebody cuts you off, right? And, and your first thought is they did it on purpose. What a jerk. What if that person is just having a lousy day? What if they just lost their job? What if they just found out their spouse is sick? What if they're just zoning out for a second? Because I'm sure none of you have done what I do every now and then when I'm on a long drive on the freeway and all of a sudden blink and go, I don't remember the last minute. You know? They just zoned out for a second and they feel really, really horrible about what happened. Compassion is stepping out of who we are, our world, our lives, our wants, and trying to understand and trying to feel where someone else is and where they're coming from and why they do what they do, why what happened happened. And Paul says to put on compassion, and he says to put on kindness. Kindness, simply doing something for the good of someone else without expecting anything in return. Gentleness, being careful with each other. As I was getting ready for this message last week, the fun thing, so for the past almost 10 years, on either Friday evening or Saturday morning, I'll go to Starbucks just to go over my message one last time. Because as you've probably already noticed, I'm a little ADD and I will jump around. So I go over it one more time. And I would go with my son, Dakota. He would sit there and be my partner and drink his caramel latte and, and hang out with me. And for the first time in 14 months, last Wednesday, Dakota and I got to go sit in Starbucks and go over my sermon. But as I was getting ready for this message, I kept coming back to a quote I heard years ago from a Scottish pastor in the late 1800s. His name was uh, uh, Ian McLaren. And McLaren said, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. being compassionate with people, kind to people, gentle with people, because we have no idea the hurt they're going through. Being gentle with them, even when they lash out at us and hurt us, because hurt people hurt people. Choosing compassion, choosing kindness, choosing gentleness. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience hate talking about patience because I feel like I'm talking to myself we know what patience is but patience is the result of compassion and kindness and gentleness we can be patient with people because we are compassionate and trying to understand what's going on with them we can be patient when we choose to be kind and do things for others with no thought of getting anything in return we can be patient when we choose to be gentle, knowing that we may have the right to get angry and, and, and ball someone out, but really, what's the point? That kind of anger doesn't solve anything, and frankly, it's exhausting. Forgiving each other just as the Lord has forgiven you. I had an Old Testament professor who used to say, be careful standing on what you believe are your rights, because someday God may choose to stand on his. I have a right to be angry. 
I have a right to want retribution. I have a right to make you feel bad because of what you've done. You know, in Colossians 1, right after the passage that we read earlier, Paul says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, alienated for God and enemies because of your evil behavior. Don't hold back, Paul. Tell us what you really think. Your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. We forgive because God forgave us first. We forgive because we have been forgiven. Because even though we were alienated from God, enemies, because of our evil behavior, he has reconciled us. Now, a couple things. First, Paul Paul ends by saying, above all else, put on love which binds us together. And next week, when you start talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the first one on Paul's list is love. All the others come from love. They descend from it. John says we love because he first loved us. And it is only through love that we can be compassionate and kind and gentle and patient and forgive. All of this comes from love. Because God loves us, because we love in return, we can be compassionate and kind and gentle and patient and forgiving. Second thing, it's not easy. It's not. Choosing to be kind and compassionate and gentle and patient isn't easy. Our human human side wants to react. I want repayment. I want vengeance. It'll make me feel better. And the ugly truth is it does temporarily. hanging on to that anger, those grudges, those resentments, as I said, it's exhausting and it starts to eat us from the inside out. So if it's hard, do we just spend our lives fighting and forcing and making ourselves act a certain way? We are, we are uh, I was going to say Sisyphus, it's not him. The guy who pushed the rock up the hill and then it rolled down the other side of the hill in Greek mythology. And then he had to push it up again and it rolled down the other side. You know, you're doing this over and over and over again. And no, that's not what God wants. That's not the more and better life Jesus has called us to. All of those things we talked about, compassion, kindness, gentleness, all of the fruit of the Spirit that you will talk about begin with love, God's love. The Apostle John tells us that God is love. It's not just that God's character is loving it's that god's very nature and essence is love if we are focusing on god if we are resting and trusting in his love then these things will be produced in our life like say fruit galatians paul says these are the fruit of the spirit fruit of the spirit not the fruit of bruce's goodness not the the fruit of Pastor Tom's sparkling uh, personality, not the fruit of your glowing character, the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit does the work. One of my favorite theologians is a a guy named Stanley Grenz, and, and he described the Trinity like this. God is love. The Father loves the Son. 
the Son reciprocates that love to the Father. And the love that is given and received is the Holy Spirit. These things, this way of being, compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, the fruit of the Spirit that you'll talk about later, don't depend on us. And thank God for that. They are the fruit of God's Spirit, the fruit of God's love made real in our lives. The problem we have so often is we think that the fruit of the Spirit, the, the change in our life as followers of Jesus is dependent on us. We have to try harder. But when we try harder and we fail and get frustrated and depressed and, and then we try harder and we keep running and it's like being on that hamster wheel until we get so tired we just fall off. What Paul says is that if we focus on God's love, if we are filled with God's spirit, these things grow. Now if we, you know, it's not about the things, the rules, Things that church people are quote-unquote supposed to do, memorizing more scripture or giving more money to church, take on more ministry responsibility, win, win the Timothy Award and go on mission trips. Again, not bad things, good things. But what leads to the fruit of the Spirit is living in God's Spirit, living in God's love, inviting the Spirit into our lives, asking for God to change us and bear fruit in us, resting in God's love and, it, and knowing that it's not up to us. Because the more we try on our own, the worse we make it. But trusting that God's love and God's spirit will be at work in our lives if we ask will produce fruit. If we turn away from idols in our life, money and success and things and relationships and, and power, whatever, and turn toward God and trust in his love and invite his spirit, fruit grows. Not quickly, but it grows. I love blackberries. I love blackberries. I grew up in western Washington where blackberries are everywhere. They are like a weed. They drive people crazy. My dad wages an ongoing war with the blackberry bushes that try to encroach on his lawn. In 10 years in Wisconsin, I never found wild blackberry bushes. So a few years ago, I bought a blackberry bush for my yard, which cracked up my Washington friends who put on chain mail and grab a machete to do battle with the blackberries every year. First summer after I planted it, no blackberries, nothing. Second summer, there were nine. Nine. Enough for me to get a handful and eat them in one big gulp. No, I did not share. Fruit grows slowly. You will not be perfect at this right away. You will not ever be perfect at this. It will take some growing seasons. There will be bad harvests. You will lose ground and make mistakes. You'll honk and make angry gestures at that guy who cut you off on the freeway. When that happens, it's not about trying harder. It's about refocusing on the Spirit, on God's love, on asking God to bear fruit in you, not you doing it for him. My wife Alyssa has a signature line on her email that says, if you fall down 10 times, get up 11. We fall, we fail, and God stands us up, and he dusts us off, and he hands us a glass of water, and he points us in the right direction, and we keep going. 
Last thing. Why is this so important? Bearing fruit that we're talking about today, the fruit of the Spirit that you'll explore in more detail the rest of this summer. Remember Jason, right? I told you I'd get back to Jason. We were around each other a lot. I am sure that he heard me talk about church. But for whatever reason, he never saw Jesus in me. He never saw the fruit. So 10 years later, he asks when I got saved. Living these things out, compassion, gentleness, kindness, patience, forgiveness, the fruit of the Spirit, is the best witness that we have. And not living it out can turn people off to the gospel like nothing else. It's not memorized scripture or perfect attendance or perfect doctrine. Not all the right answers we memorized out of a book. How we live every day. What we clothe ourselves with. What we put on. How we prepare. Because what we do often shout so loud no one can hear what we say. Are we living the life of our world and our culture that says it's all about me? As long as me and mine are taken care of and and we have what we want, it really doesn't matter what happens to others. Living a life that says what goes around comes around and if someone hits you, you hit them back 10 times harder. I have the right to get back at them. I don't care if uh, if if my life, my rights, make life more difficult for you. They're my rights. Or are we living lives focused on God's love, open to God's spirit? Living lives of compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. Being kind and remembering that everyone, everyone we meet is fighting a hard battle. It's our greatest witness. Can you imagine in our culture today if believers permeated Every aspect with those kinds of lives. Just look back at the passage that we started with today. Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says you will be my witnesses. You will. Not you might. Not you can when you feel like it. Or you don't have to be my witnesses when someone has wronged you. Or you will only be my witnesses after you've had your coffee in the morning. If you claim me as Savior and Lord, your whole life is a witness to me. What fruit is being seen in our lives, lived out in our lives? You will be my witnesses. Our life is our witness. Is our life bearing fruit, the fruit that is based on God's love and depending on his spirit? If we will be his witnesses, no matter what, then what kind of witnesses are we striving to be? Pray with me. Good and gracious God, we are so very thankful. So very thankful that 
You sent your son the image of the invisible God. So very thankful that you sacrificed to reconcile all things to you. So very thankful that you chose us, called us out for your purposes. So very thankful that you have called us to be different, but that difference does not depend on us. It is the fruit of your love and your spirit. So we ask this morning, Lord, that you would open us to your Holy Spirit. Open us to your love. Show us how to rest and trust in that love so that fruit can grow as we are your witnesses. So that we live lives where all peoples of the earth can be blessed through us. Amen. Thank you, Bruce. As Bruce shared from the Apostle Paul, this is not fruit that we can grow on our own. It comes from God. Last week we started that theme as we went back to John 14 and we looked at what Jesus said, right? That, that he is the vine and that we are the branches and that as we bear this fruit, the world will know that you're my disciples. That's what Jesus said. You don't have to do it alone because he is with you. He is the one who is bearing that fruit. But you also don't have to do it alone because we bear that fruit together.